Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. So tempted this morning to just not talk about it, but then that wouldn't be what we do. So yes, indeed, we are going to talk this morning somewhat at some points about last night, but that's not where we're starting. So good morning. It is Wednesday, Witness Wednesday, Wisdom Wednesday, Witty Wednesday. What kind of Wednesday is it going to be for you? Today is September the 30th, so it is the end of Q3. Today marks the end of the third quarter. It is, um, well, it's time to analyze the return on investment. And so third quarter reports are going to come out. Some of them have already been rolling out, but there you go. And some predictions related to Q4, the fourth quarter. Uh, here's here's the way I want to frame this conversation this morning. Um, what is God's return on investment in each one of us? Time to check in on God's ROI here at the end of Q3. So consider for a moment that God has invested you with his very image. You are an image bearer of the living God. He has invested himself in you in creation itself. He has invested you with his own Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, then God has poured out his spirit upon you. You are invested with every spiritual gift that's necessary for the accomplishing of God's will in your life. Um, that, that's the, testified to in Scripture. And so what is God's return on all of those investments in the first three quarters of this year? What would God's quarterly statement look like? What would it say if you had to issue it today? And then what might some time spent with God today look like if you and God were just going to you know, sit across the table from each other and review the return that he's getting on his investment in you. There you go. There's a little spiritual exercise for the day. When you uh, write down or type God's ROI, one of the things that is going to strike you uh, as a student of Scripture is that that is also Elroy. ROI is the Hebrew Roy, and God is Elroy. Genesis 16, verses 13 and 14, Hagar uh, cries out to who? To the God who sees. Hagar gave this name to the Lord, Scripture says. You are the God who sees me, Elroy. She said, I have now seen the one who sees me. Do you see the one who sees you? God's ROI, Elroy. Second Chronicles 16.9, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Psalm 121, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going both now and forevermore. 
Proverbs 15, verse 3, the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. Matthew 6, verses 3 and 4 is a good reminder that God sees you. It's a promise. It's not a threat. God sees you. God is the God who sees. God sees the hidden good that you do, and he is so proud. He's so proud of you. So today, let us ask God to help us to do what is right in his eyes, Deuteronomy 12, 28, and let us pray that God will enable us to see him for who he is, even as he sees us. Elroy, R-O-I, the God who sees. I got Daryl Crouch waiting right now. He and I are going to talk about pastors and the upcoming election and the impact on churches. We're also going to talk about a civility kit available to you today. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining me now, Pastor Daryl Crouch. You can find him at the Green Hill Church. You can also find him at the Cross Tide blog. Daryl, welcome back. Great to be with you, Carmen. So I am um, I am reading, as you are reading, that uh, pastors have been surveyed and they have responded about the impact that the upcoming election, actually the election process, may have on their churches. This is from Barna Research. I don't know. What is your... Um, you know, what is your sense of how not just folks in your congregation, but but, you know, as you talk with other pastors, um, what's the stress level out there related to this election process? Well, it certainly is an important moment. And uh, shepherding our people uh, is so important. And our people, all of us, not not us and them, but all of us have been influenced uh, by and are influenced by what we read on social media, what we watch in the news and the election cycle. We're all influenced by the things that we see and the people that we talk to and the the um, the articles that we read, the things that come across our feed that we that are important to us and that are important to the nation. So there's a lot of, I think one of the things that I sense is there's a lot of information coming in to our minds. And I think uh, for pastors to step into that uh, with biblical, Christ-centered, spirit-filled teaching and um, modeling how to talk about things that are important has never been more important in in my lifetime. And so, and and never been more challenging, really, Carmen. I think all of us tend to be influenced by the things that we see and hear and read. And uh, we're very um, opinionated about politics and and engaged uh, for, for the most part. And so that's very good. So I think one of the challenges I have or I feel is I want people to be engaged. Tapping out is not an option, but being engaged means being biblically informed and spirit-filled and spirit-led in the way that we think. And so trying to construct or continue to build a biblical worldview is really the, um, the challenge, I think, for local pastors today. So one of the things, Daryl, that you um, that you point out is the is the emphasis on being spirit directed or spirit led. Um, I think that that also requires 
a level of judgment about whether or not the spirit that I am attuned to and tending to and following is indeed the spirit of the living God or the spirit of the world. And so talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if we are honest with ourselves, sometimes we don't know the difference. Uh, We are very influenced and shaped by uh, the people that were around and the way that we were raised and the environment that we're in. I was conversing with another pastor in another part of the country, and we weren't really disagreeing, but his context is so much different than mine. And so for us to understand that we're very influenced by the political and social context and geographical context that we live in, and we're called to shepherd our flocks, not someone else's. And so I think all of us are we, we have to be honest about the fact that we're we are influenced by things that are worldly. And um, then we have to say, I'm going to surrender uh, my life to the word of God, to the spirit of God, and uh, that Jesus is Lord. And so one of the things that I've noticed, and, and it's not new, I guess, but just uh, renewed in me, is that when I open the Bible, it is a soothing balm in my soul but it's also a sweaty battle, Carmen. I think the sanctification work is a little dirtier than than we like to, to believe. And so my daily devotion, where I am placing my strongholds on the table and saying, Lord, would you sanctify me? As I read this Bible, and as your spirit washes over me and instructs me and leads me into all truth, that means that there's some things that I've held on to for a long time that I'm going to have to lay aside. I'm going to have to rethink the way I believe about certain things. I'm going to have to change the way I respond to certain people. Loving my enemy, for example, in this context, my my rival, my opponent, requires something of me in this moment that it may not have been required earlier, or at least I didn't uh, know it or see it. And so I think there's this daily dying to ourselves that's a little more brutal then, um, and I don't mean that the Spirit is not faithful and gracious and so on, but I'm just saying that re- un, uh, t- taking my my grip away from those strongholds is a little more of a battle these days than, than maybe in previous days. At least it seems that way. So you've reminded me of a conversation that I had with my grandma, Robina. And th- so this goes this goes way back to my childhood because she died when I was uh, just 12 years old. And so, but I remember when you, when you talk about it being dirty work, um, her favorite hymn will be really familiar to a lot of people. And it's in the garden. And, um, and she talked about um, that as she sang it, I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear um, falling on my ear, the son of God discloses. And, and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me that I am his own and the joy he shares as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Now, my grandmother sang that and hummed that continuously, that and the Old mm. Rugged Cross. That's pretty much the, mm. uh, the, that was the soundtrack of her life. Um, but when, when she talked with me about this in the garden business, um, mm. God walking with you and talking with you, she, she talked about him as one getting his hands down into the soil of your life, and it is dirty mm. business. Yeah. And so the, the Lord walking with me and talking with me, I might sing that, and I might, that might sound like this, um, Oh, it's just this wonderful, you know, it's a 
it's a walk through Cheekwood, a garden that's already, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a well-designed, mm-hmm. well-manicured well garden. And she's like, no, no, it's a mess. God is walking with you in the mess of your life, and he's getting his hands dirty because, as you say, sanctification is uh, is dirty work. It's dirty business. It's a sweaty battle. Um, all right. Uh, you and I have to take a very brief break. When we come back, will you tell us a little bit about this civility kit that is downloadable for free at the ERLC? Absolutely. Love to. Okay, great. Um, Pastor Daryl Crouch and I are going to continue this conversation because if we learned anything last night in watching the debate, it's uh, <clears throat> it's that all of America needs a course in civility. So we got that coming up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Darkness seems to hide his face. I rest on his unchanging grace. I'm standing on the rock. Continuing my conversation with Pastor Daryl Crouch, you can find him at the Cross Tide blog. Uh, all right, Daryl, tell us about the civility kit. I know that if I go to ERLC.com, I can download it for free. Um, what is it and why do I need it? Yes, the Courage and Civility Church Toolkit. It's um, uh, four sermons and four small group Bible studies, the full manuscripts on both. And uh, the effort or the hope is simply to help um, Christians and churches engage well in the public square, not only during this season, but uh, throughout our ministry together. And uh, what we do in the public square is very important. And uh, knowing uh, and having a biblical framework for engaging well and uh, with our focus on the kingdom and uh, to honor Christ and promote him, uh, but to encourage government and those that are in the political arena to, uh, to provide a place that's peaceful and safe for all of us, where religious freedom is encouraged and cultivated, and um, and so it's a it's a way for us to to kind of drill down a little bit and what is our responsibility in the public square, and then how do we walk that out? So this is substantive. I mean, this thing's ninety pages long. It's um it's got small group studies, you know, and, and you say you know you use the term sermon here. I don't want that to scare people off. I want, if you're a Christian and you're listening right now, this is something that you can go to ERLC.com and download for free and find useful. Um, and Absolutely. you can certainly share it with your pastor and the, and the leaders of your church. But um, if you want to understand, you know, what does the Bible actually say about government? Um, you know, you could read the sermon in week one, which is based on Romans 13. Um, and even if nobody is standing up and preaching it to you, you know, you stand in front of the mirror and read it out loud and, you know, and thus it becomes <laughs> a sermon itself. Um, but it really is. It is an opportunity to engage the scripture, the question of politics, the people of God. Um, I love the a week two where you just come right out and talk about political tribes and the great commandment and the love of enemy. Um this this grew out of I mean this is a collaborative work. Talk with us a little bit about just the process of producing something like this in conversation with others. Well, I think in the in the context of the local church, and I do appreciate you saying this is for anybody who who is interested. Uh, you can read it just like you'd read an article or a book or anything else. It's very accessible. Uh, it uses words that we all understand, and uh, those are the only kind I know. And so. Um, I think it's a, a helpful resource for for all of us, but uh, it came it came together in the context of the local church, and I think all of us at the at the very basic level as believers uh, are working this out together in the context of the local church. So some of this material I've preached here at the church that I serve, Green Hill Church. Uh, I've written and uh, worked with other folks. Uh, along the way at the ERLC, 
and in other uh, contexts to uh, to just kind of work this out. There's a lot of people, um, Bruce Ashford, for example, and Al Mohler and so many others who are doing such a good job of helping to inform us and uh, walk this out on a daily basis. And to see the world through a biblical worldview is so important. And so there's a lot of folks who have influenced me over the years, and and uh, those are just a few. But uh, Dan Darling, for example, and we, we are uh, mutual friends of Dan, and he's awesome. Uh, so there's just a lot of people who have helped encourage and inform and inspire me as we, as we put this uh, work together. So, Daryl, um, Daniel figures prominently. It's interesting. Um, I mean, I've had multiple conversations recently where Daniel has emerged as the character in Scripture who people would most like to see among us today. Like, where are the Daniels or where is the Daniel? Uh, and not just um, not just in terms of a person maybe convicting those at the highest levels of governance, but, you know, who is actually looking out for our future um, in such a way that, you know, generations from now, uh, people would be asking the right questions and doing the right things. Um, talk, talk with us just, just briefly about Daniel as an inspiration for this conversation. Yeah, we love Daniel, don't we? I mean, I could, <laughs> we could go on forever. We, uh, Daniel did not wait for the political environment to be ideal in order to live for the kingdom. He had a view of the kingdom, and he had a context to live it out, and he was faithful in that context. He, um, he encouraged change. He pushed back against uh, unrighteousness in the public square. He spoke truth to power, if that's the phrase we want to use. He was not afraid to speak the truth and to be courageous in the public square. He was not afraid to put his life on the line in order to preserve a people for God's own possession. Uh, He understood who he was and what God had called him to, but he wasn't a jerk about it. He was gracious. He served well. He was he was better than all the rest. So there was a sense of excellence about him in a way that he did his work publicly and privately that earned him the respect of those in power and gave him a platform. And I do think, Carmen, that that's a, a lesson that all of us can learn. Not all of us are going to serve in the in the White House or in the in the at, on Capitol Hill or in the governor's mansion or anything like that. Most of us never will touch those places. But we do have a sphere of influence and how we live for the kingdom in the public square, in the context that we have is so important. And we cannot wait for a perfect political environment in order to do that. And we cannot blame our political opponents for our failure to do that. Uh, Daniel did not blame and he did not shame. He uh, walked out uh, his kingdom mandate with great integrity and um and his words were seasoned as with salt, and, and that gave him standing that was unparalleled and unprecedented, another word that we've learned to use. So again, I want to uh, be sure that you know where to find this particular downloadable resource. If you just go to ERLC, it's just four letters, ERLC.com. Um, you you can find it there. It is the Courage and Civility Church Kit. It's a PDF. It's downloadable for free. Um, and I'm just going to scroll to the top of the page and see if there's anything secret about getting there. I just typed in ERLC.com, and um, 
and then I typed in the word, but I'm wondering if you scroll down yeah, the page if it. you can easily find it. All right. Yeah, just type yeah. in the word civility or courage and it'll pop up. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, Daryl, thank you as always so much. I know you're praying uh, with us and for us as we all pursue Christ in these in these days. Um, go shepherd well the people uh, whom God has entrusted to your care. It's awesome. Always good to be with you. It's always good to be with you, too. Thank you so much. That's Daryl Crouch. You can find him at the Green Hill Church. You can also find him at the Crosstide blog. We'll be right back. All right, I'm going to read you in on a number of international headlines that you are otherwise going to miss today because the U.S. press is going to be completely consumed with itself and navel-gazing. So... Uh, as one positive uh, outcome already, evidence of, uh, of real work moving forward on the Abraham Accords, the United Arab Emirates and Israeli technology ministers are busy today discussing collaboration on research and development projects. Um, that is really significant because that is actually one of the, uh, one of the, I would say, basic building blocks of those proposals is that Israel has tons of R&D technology um, that they would like very much to deploy, uh, to reproduce and share. And the UAE has a lot of uh, financial capital on the sidelines that they could put to use there. So there you go. Some collaborative outgrowths. Um, We talked on Monday with David Aikman about rising tensions um, between the Armenian people and the nation of um, Azerbaijan. Uh, That has escalated. Armenia uh, is reporting today that three civilians have been killed in a town that is situated in the breakaway region inside Azerbaijan, um, where these, uh, well, I will say where these eruptions of uh, decades old conflict um, are now openly, it's just open warfare. And so I think we need to know that France and Turkey traded recriminations on this topic. Um, International tensions are definitely mounting. People are lining up on opposite sides. Uh, It has the potential to erupt into um, a proxy war. We don't want to see that. And uh, so let's be, you know, let's certainly be praying on that front as well. All right. uh, The media here in the United States is going to be consumed pretty much with one topic today. And that is going to be the debate last night that took place between the president of the United States and the former vice president of the United States, so Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Daniel Bennett is up next. He is a professor at John Brown University. He also heads up the Center for Faith and Flourishing. He watched the debate. He is going to help us review what happened. And I promise he and I are going to suss out some positive threads. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. How do you communicate love in your home? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Some people are word folks. Others show love by acts of service. Some give hugs and some have any mixture of expressions. However you display love to your family, make sure you're acting on it every day in the good times and the bad. When you do, you're communicating that there's nothing your teen can do to make you love him more And there's nothing he can do to make you love him less. That's a foundation that'll hold relationships together no matter what happens. So take a moment and write a note of encouragement. Give a hug. Say, I love you. 
There's no better investment in your relationships than expressing love. When all else fails, moms and dads turn to Mark Gregston for help. Equip yourself with the wisdom you need to succeed at ParentingTodaysTeens.org. Daniel Bennett is a politics professor at John Brown University. He writes in periodicals like Christianity Today. He writes for the Gospel Coalition, uh, on and on and on. Um, you can find him at danielbennett.substack.com if you want to read what he is writing. Today, I am going to ask him, how do we redeem a dumpster fire? Daniel Bennett, <laughs> welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning. Yeah, I hope you have a redemptive answer. I, I, I really, I know that you know that I was watching last night because I saw you on Twitter. Um, talk with us about your experience of, of the debate last night. And then I would love for us to get to the point where we'd be able to call this segment something like Out of the Ashes. Um, and we would be able to recover something of value um, from what we all experienced last night. Sure. I mean, I was talking to your producer a moment ago, and there is value, I think, in reflecting on something, uh, you know, the morning after. Uh, so in thinking about the experience in the moment, though, it was jarring. Uh, you know, four years ago, though, I'm not sure what exactly was different. Uh, I, I'm not entirely sure it stood out. Last night's debate stood out from anything the last few years. I think potentially the only difference is when Donald Trump was interrupting and saying his Donald Trumpy things in 2016, uh, it was kind of a novelty, right? Oh, well, you know, he's kind of an outsider, doesn't really get politics, you know, whatever. But now with the president doing it, it maybe seems a little stranger. And then, of course, you got Joe Biden, who's a little bit more fiery and, and I'll just say it, emotional in many respects. Uh, all things together, it was an interesting experience. So um, one of the uh, – because, you know, I'm, I'm watching it not only um, by myself but with my husband, and then we have two teenagers in the house, one who's a senior in high school and one who's a freshman. The freshman did not last very long. He volunteered to go wash the dishes, um, which was a clear indication that that was not, you know, something he wanted to sit and endure. The senior lasted uh, up until the point where she just literally couldn't bear any longer how they were treating one another. It was the – it was the way they treated one another that for her was i mean it was it was painful it was it was pain. she couldn't she couldn't hear them um and so i guess when you think about the impact that this kind of experience maybe has on your students like when you guys talk about yeah. politics today and you're trying to teach civil discourse and you're trying to teach civic engagement um how do we do that when we have candidates for the presidency behaving the way these two men did last night so in the one sense, there's room for redemption in an event like this. Uh, and I think it's a good thing that so many young people uh, like your like your especially your older child and, and certainly students around the country look at look at what happened and say, wow, that's just that just rubs me the wrong way. That doesn't seem right. And so there's that intuitive sense of this is not the way it's supposed to work. And so I think that's a solid foundation upon which we can build. But as far as, you know, encouraging civil engagement, I mean, this is even more a reason for why we need 
thoughtful engagement in the public square saying, if you don't, if you don't like this, it doesn't have to be this way. Right. Several people on social media last night said, you know, this is, this is what we put forward. This these are the two people that we decided would be best to, to, to represent the two major parties. Um, doesn't have to be that way, you know, next time. So I mean, I'm, I'm, I have slight optimism. All right. I think we lost um, uh, Daniel Bennett there. Uh, Paul will work diligently to get him back. Um, what was your experience? I have uh, a friend, uh, Caroline, who is weighing in here on our text line. Remember, you can always text me during the show at 877-933-2484. Uh, Caroline says, I felt like I was watching two unruly schoolboys last night. It didn't feel presidential, and I literally got a headache. Um, so, uh, searches on Google, by the way, spiked for the word stress during the debate last night. Um, and that's probably not the word that, uh, that either political campaign wanted, wanted people to be uh, searching for an answer to, uh, during that. We also heard from pollsters that, uh, undecided voters responded, um, overwhelmingly to last night's debate with a decision not to vote. And that doesn't bode well uh, for either candidate as well. All right, we've got Daniel Bennett back. He is from the Center for Faith and Flourishing at John Brown University. Um, Daniel, go ahead and finish your thought um, about this can be redemptive because I think I think you're on to something there. Yeah, I was just saying that uh, it's in, when so many uh, young people, especially, just intuitively think, "Wow, this was a this was a bad moment. This just rubbed me the wrong way." I think we can build on that to say, "Well, this isn't necessarily a something we were stuck with." Right. We can. This doesn't have to be this way. So if you want to be engaged and find, put a better way forward, you can do that. And so that's something I'll be discussing with my students today, no doubt, as we reflect on what we saw last night. All right. And then um, is there is there a winner? And if so, who won? Yeah, I mean, these these are notoriously difficult questions to answer because uh, obviously your your vision of a winner is going to be clouded by you know who you are already predisposed to support. Trying to be as objective as possible and think about it less in terms of policy, less in terms of substance, and more just in terms of uh, how they carried themselves. I think Biden probably came off as more of a winner than Donald Trump did, in as much as he wasn't as aggressive in interrupting the other person. But that's like the lowest bar imaginable for a presidential debate for the United States. Um, I, I don't think we could consider anyone a winner in terms of substance on this. Yeah. So uh, listener Kathy um, is going to just use the word embarrassing to describe her experience. Uh, Scott says hundreds of millions of people in our country and last night's the best we could do. Question mark. This country mm-hmm. needs a revival of civics and civility. Uh, Daniel and I could not agree with you more. Um, about that. And um, yeah, let's see. Uh, Yeah, just oh, and then um, a listener here says, well, I only lasted five minutes. So uh, it's appreciating, (laughs) appreciating our review of things. Um, All right, um, Daniel, best place, uh, best place for folks to find you because because they're asking because you sound like a tempered voice that they want to hear more from. So best place to find you is I'm on Twitter, Daniel R. Ben, B-E-N-N, and uh, you can find some thoughts on faith and politics, the occasional sports, bad attempts at humor, that kind of thing. All right, and you can also uh, find the, the link there to his, um, to his substack if you're looking for that. All right, I got another Thanks. segment coming up next with Daniel, and he and I uh, are going to pivot a little bit, and we're going to talk about the Supreme Court. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. 
Daniel, uh, one, uh, a couple of more listener comments before we pivot to the Supreme Court. Um, I can offer this uh, this way, which I could not do if they were my own comments, but because it's a listener comment, I can read this this way. How's that sound? For those, of you at the FC- for those of you at the FCC listening right now, this is not Carmen being expressly partisan. This is Carmen reading a listener comment. Um, we have a listener who um, does not... Uh, does not believe that both people are equally responsible last night, um, but describes the president as the one who is off the hinge um, and thinks that it should be the one being criticized today as responsible for the way uh, the way the event broke down, his his inability to um, follow, you know, sort of the rules that were set out in advance. Um, and then uh, another listener Dawn, um, who says they would both get a failing grade if they were in my high school debate class. So there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, so we, you and I can pivot from there to, uh, to the Supreme Court. Your reflections on, uh, on where we are now, um, maybe what the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg means, um, and maybe what the uh, nomination and anticipated confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett means. Yeah, so a lot's happened in the last uh, week and a half, obviously. Uh, with Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death, this was about uh, the only thing that, have, could have, that could have upended the presidential election more. And even then, it didn't really come up that much at the debate last night. So I thought that was an interesting, uh, interesting, uh, interesting thing to happen. Um, but with Amy Coney Barrett being the nominee... Uh, Republicans in the Senate are being accused of hypocrisy. I mean, I guess that's true, but honestly, it's a power thing, right? I mean, they have the numbers to do it. Why wouldn't they do it at this point? Um, particularly when you have the opportunity to cement a more conservative court for a generation. Now, the the fallout from that could be bad long term, and that's something I wrote about recently. Uh, what does this do to the structure and the legitimacy of the Supreme Court if so many people in the country see it as uh, as a political football, so to speak? Um, but as Amy Coney Barrett is the nominee, uh, I think you'd be hard pressed to find anyone doubting her credentials or qualifications. I think that's why so many folks in the media are focusing on her non-legal elements of her career uh, to criticize. Um, I did find it interesting last night that Biden refused to answer the question about stacking the court. Um, it, yeah. it seems like an easy question to answer if you are going to be uh, if you're going to be the president and you anticipate having a Congress with whom you can work, then then a conversation about stacking the Supreme Court seems moot. Yeah, I thought that was his worst answer of the night, honestly. It was it was such a softball. And all you had to say if you're if you're Joe Biden is, look, I don't want to do that. I think the Supreme Court's an important institution of government. I'm looking forward to working with Congress and mm-hmm. hopefully uh, this conversation won't even be necessary because we'll be able to move past these divisions at this point. But the fact that he just said, oh, I don't want to answer the question because no matter what I say, uh, really problematic. I mean, it, it was a very unpolished and frankly unpresidential response. Yeah, I mean, there was a real opportunity there for him to um, to speak to people who are concerned um, mm-hmm. about you know about those conversations that are taking place now. Um, uh, anything anything else on um, on the process related to Amy Coney Barrett? I will just speak as a Christian woman here and say I I find her. Um, stunningly attractive in in all of the mm. most positive ways. Um, you know, she I think sets sets before a generation of young Christian women um, 
a possibility, a vision of a possibility. Like, and I don't want to, you know, sort of frame it as the you can have it all thing. I want to frame mm-hmm. it as you can actually be in a submitted Christian marriage and both be professionals and still work out how to have kids and be, you know, and be generous in the way that you live your life and and for your husband to be right there to celebrate when your career actually goes beyond maybe where his is going to go just in terms of the opportunity you have to serve. It's a it's an interesting conversation I think for Christians to engage in. Yeah, it turns that conventional conversation on its head a little bit, particularly from the perspective of society that doesn't really understand what this relate what these relationships are about. And so I think that's where a lot of confusion is coming from. On the one hand, she belongs to this charismatic Christian group where you know, there's subservience, but on the other hand, she's also a, an extremely accomplished lawyer, professor, and now judge. That's kind of hard to hard to square. Ruth Graham had an excellent article in the New York Times uh, over the weekend about Amy Coney Barrett's nomination and its and its effect on younger conservative women. Uh, it was a terrific article uh, on her uh, emergence to the Supreme Court. Um, but yeah, I think she's an extremely qualified uh, candidate. Uh, she was actually my preference back in 2018 for the seat that ultimately went to Kavanaugh. Uh, I thought it would have made more political sense at the time. Not only that, but she was extremely well qualified and attractive in that sense. So uh, it looks like she has the votes. It looks like her confirmation, barring any unforeseen circumstances, will take place towards the end of October, right before the election. It is a um, it, it is an interesting moment, I think, uh, for evangelicals, uh, maybe uh, maybe you've got a response to the um, to the piece posted. I think it was in the Atlantic, and I just think that maybe it was yesterday. Um, you know, sort of this revelation that the president does not uh, does is not maybe particularly respectful. I think the word was mock um, evangelical Christians. You know, behind uh, when when they're out of the room, you know, behind their backs. And I, I just have to say, my my take on that, Daniel, was who is surprised by that? I mean, I why would I be expecting um, him to treat uh, me and my kind any differently than he treats others and their kind? I mean, they're they're. I just think it's a false expectation that we're in a transactional relationship with this individual. Yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly right. Uh, you'd, you'd be hard pressed to find you know, any great number of people who are saying, well, you know, the president actually is is a faithful Christian, you know, who really takes this faith seriously. Uh, there were arguments from that about that in the beginning, but those have kind of fallen by the wayside. Yeah, I think reading this in a transactional way makes the most sense. Uh, and, you know, I think for most evangelical Christians, they're going to look at that and, and chalk that up. Well, shoot, that's another reason why I think he's kind of a scummy guy. But you know what? So so what? You know, we have Amy Coney Barrett. We have these policies that we like. Uh, we can we can deal with that. Uh, the real sin would be to go back on these promises he's made to evangelical Christians. And for a variety of reasons, he doesn't seem to be he doesn't uh, appear to be doing that at all. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that if you view it transactionally, you're pretty satisfied. If you are viewing it in um, in some sort of salvific way, you're probably gravely mm-hmm. uh, troubled. So. Right. All yep. right, Daniel, you and I probably have to leave it right there. You guys can find Daniel Bennett at the Center for Faith and Flourishing, John Brown University. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Daniel R. Ben, B-E-N-N. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. We really appreciate it. Happy, happy to do it. Thanks a lot. We'll be right back. This is a kingdom.
So I got a note uh, it, during during the show from a listener who really just appreciated the opening conversation that we had about the God who sees and the invitation um, that we might make to God today as a return on investment ROI. That's really the that's what got me thinking about El Roy, the God who sees, is that ROI is return on investment in sort of you know economic parlance. And today's the end of quarter three, so you might be issuing God a statement today on the return on his investment in you. But when I looked at it on the page, you know, of course I see ROI and I see, you know, Elroy. That's what I see, Genesis chapter 16 and the story of Hagar. And so uh, a little note from a listener, uh, this one came via email, um, just saying I can really relate to uh, to Hagar and um, her experience of fear and loneliness and feeling unloved and then the profound answer um the profound gift that it is to know that there is a God who sees. Uh, the listener then says, um, it's interesting that you said it's not a threat that God sees, that it's a, that it's a promise. And so maybe I want to settle in there for just a moment um, and to say it's not a threat to know that God is the God who sees and to hear that God is the one who sees you. That That's not a threat. Um, I think that we probably t- we probably have used it to remind our children at times uh, to behave themselves, because even when we are not uh, able to see what they're doing, you know, God sees what you're doing. Um, that's that's that probably gets us into the cultivating within their little hearts and minds the idea that uh, you know <clears throat> God is just looking to catch them doing something wrong. Um, but God sees it all in every moment. And so, you know, I note that in in Matthew, I mean, God's the one who sees the good you do in secret. God sees, I mean, you know, don't let your left hand see what your right hand is doing. God still sees what your left hand is doing, right? Um, and and he's he enjoys that. God is glorified when we um, demonstrate goodness and godliness in the world today. When we acknowledge who he is in a world that acknowledges him not. And so um, live with the confidence that you're not alone. You need not be afraid. God sees you. He knows right where you are. You are not unaccounted for. (laughs) In fact, God has counted the very numbers uh, of hairs on your head. He knows uh, the, the challenges you're going to face today. He knows your needs. And he is good. He is gracious. He is present. Elroy, God sees. We got a whole nother hour. Up next, we'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.